0: The Invictus Mind, Episode 4 Hello, this is Mike Corbell. Each and every person is a sovereign individual, born with a spark of divinity, with unique and unlimited potential. But every one of us will face unique challenges, obstacles, or roadblocks. There are systems in this world that may be built against our own best interests. Governments use force to coerce and compel us. Sometimes we build systems in our very own head. In each episode, we will look at these systems, these roadblocks, the things that prevent us from reaching our true potential. We will discuss how to break free and regain our sovereignty, how we can become the master of our fate and the captain of our soul. Thank you for tuning in to The Invictus Mind. This is your host, Mike Corbell. I really enjoyed this interview because I got to talk to a friend of mine who has a passion for what he does. He's the host of the Year Zero podcast. In this episode, I dig deep into his life, where he comes from, and what he believes people can do to make themselves more free. We discuss growing up in Texas, living the life of a truck driver, and of course, why his message is important. As usual, we discuss the importance of self educating ourselves to be in a position where no matter what government does, it won't affect their lives too much. Here is Tommy Salmons. Yeah! Hey Tommy, how you doing today?
1: I'm good, man. How are you?
0: Great, great. Hey Tommy, I wanted to get you on the show because uh, you and I did a episode for your podcast about a year ago, and I thought I'd uh, return the favor to you. Yeah,
1: I appreciate it, and I'm really excited about it, man. I, I, I I'm really excited about you starting a podcast. Whenever we, uh, whenever I interviewed you, that was one of the things I told you that you should do your own podcast because you got some really good ideas.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been a uh, work in progress, but uh, I finally got it launched, and uh, we'll see how it goes. See if I get some audience listening to me, right?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll get you. We'll get you a couple of fans.
0: There you go. Well, Tommy, you're the host of the uh, Year Zero podcast, although it had a different name when we uh, did our show last time. Uh, why don't we start there? Why don't you tell me a little bit what what, what you're doing, what Year Zero is all about, and. Uh, I know I listen to your show every once in a while despite the fact that there's probably about 15 or 20 shows I listen to. I catch you once in a while and I'll give you the chance to tell me a little bit about yourself, what you're doing and, uh, and why you're so passionate about it right now.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, podcasting in itself is a, an extremely, um, extremely flooded market at the moment um, and, it, and it's good and bad. You get a lot of voices out there because – you But there's no gatekeeper, so anybody can go out there and talk about any subject they want to. And when I started my podcast, it was very similar to to your thinking. Um, I had just read the book uh, by Harry Brown, How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World. And I'd been considering podcasting a while, and uh, I was looking for a subject to to kind of launch me. But... Ever since I was a kid, one of my one of my real passions and, and one of the things I found real intriguing was intelligence, and especially the CIA. Um, I might have a little bit more interest in the NSA and DIA if there were a little bit more information out there about them. But when I was 12 years old, I saw um, JFK by Oliver Stone. And that just sent me down the rabbit hole of all the operations of CIA and the, the things they had been involved in. And so when I when I relabeled my podcast, rebranded, so to speak, from Stranger Encounters to Year zero, it was because I was reading through Vault 7 and and all all the leaks that came out of Wiki, WikiLeaks. And um One of their projects that CIA was working on was called Year Zero, and it was a project in which they were collecting all the data from the phone centers. So not only do you have the NSA collecting all of your metadata from AT&T and Verizon and all these phone companies, but you also have the CIA going in there and working with these co- these companies in order to get your data as well. So when you when you trace the term year 0 back, it traces back to Cambodia, I believe it was, and uh Pol Pot and and the entire revolution um that that came to fruition. So I thought it was a really interesting name and and so I just kind of latched onto it and stuck with it.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, Tommy, you got to be honest. You're the first person that would probably proudly claim themselves as a libertarian on the show here. Uh, my brother, I interviewed, and a couple of friends of mine—they uh, have uh, the liberty mindset, but they wouldn't label themselves a libertarian. Is that what label you go by, or do you use a different word?
1: I don't really. I had I had actually had this conversation with Sherry, voluntary. I don't I don't really grab onto the term libertarian so much. Um, if you want to talk libertarian in, in the traditional sense, then yeah, I'm definitely a libertarian and so is your brother. I don't care what he says. I always tell him that I'm like, you're so wrong. You're so wrong. Don't even you need to just start calling yourself a libertarian, man. But, but I love Jason. He's awesome. He's so, he's so smart, man. He, he blows my mind. Sometimes some of the stuff he talks about, Um, but yeah, I guess you could call me a libertarian. I don't, I don't really cling on to a label so much. Um, you could call me a voluntarist. You could call me an anarchist. I I typically tell people I'm an anarchist. That's usually what I tell people. Cause it's really hard to, it's really hard to put yourself in a box whenever you start really exploring the, the intricacies and complexities of every position. You know what I'm saying?
0: For sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of against labels myself. There are so many different things you can say. And depending on the conversation, who you're talking to, I guess maybe that's not the right thing to do. That's how I answer myself. And libertarian, most people think of because of the Ron Paul movement, or even recently because of Gary Johnson. And anarchist is what I like to call myself, although I'm exploring uh, this group called the uh, the Christian Anarcho Christian Group. So I don't know if that's uh, some people in the party, the Libertarian Party, I know, are not. Uh, uh, believers in the higher authority. Uh, I am, my brother is, and I think that's kind of where we shay away from uh, that label per se. But uh, I just like talking liberty, and that's really what I'm all about here on this podcast.
1: Yeah, well, you know, um, Mike Maharry has a really good podcast on, I, I think it's called Godarchy. It's the Godarchy podcast. And he, he really explains anarchy and, and religion well. I'm not a religious person. I, I'll be the first one to tell you. I'm, I'm more of a, uh, I guess. Uh, I'm not atheist. Um, I, I just, I, 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 I'm more of a intellectual when it comes to the way I look at things. And if it it can't be intellectually explained, I kind of like veer away from it. So that's kind of how I am with religion. I see the utility in it uh, for some people. It just doesn't hold any value to me. Um, but that's not to say that, that I'm absolutely right uh, in my analysis of what religion is. It's just coming from a Southern Baptist, you know, perspective, and 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 then coming onto my own, I just I was never able to get the answers I wanted, so I just kind of steered away from religion. But I have I have no opinion whatsoever about people that um that that cling to religion for whatever reason and i don't mean that in a pejorative i mean that honestly i think that it there is a utility to it and that a lot of people get a lot out of it there's there's a lot of value and virtue to be learned from any religious text or uh organization
0: right on well you said something before that really uh encapsulates uh Exactly what I'm trying to do. You know, you talk about intelligence, not not intelligence like CIA, but uh, just uh, intelligence in general, you know, having intellectual discussions, whether someone's religious, whether someone's not. I think that uh, somebody from our elk are probably more prone to intellectual discussions and just trying to learn from life uh, on a whole. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I think where, where a lot of people, like, uh, go wrong And especially in modern society, is there's no um, nobody wants to talk nuance. Nobody wants to get into the 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 what is right and wrong about about every subject. Like no, I don't. I don't look at any one answer as being um, a completely, you know, you know, just objective reality or objective answer to anything. I believe that there, there are many ways there, you know, whether what they say a thousand ways to skin a cat or whatever. And there's so much nuance involved in, I mean, one of my favorite subjects and your brother blows me away with it is history. And the reason I, I hated history growing up and it was because there was no nuance in it. It was all binary. It was so black and white. And, when you really start reading and you start like thinking about the, the people of the past in, in a, in a way that is um, that humanizes them, then you, you start to realize that there's a lot of complexity involved in what's going on. And so many people are afraid to touch on the nuances and complexities of life and of, of, of belief and of thought and, you know, of action. and, And I just I don't shy away from things like that. I I find it, I find it to be much more interesting to get involved in conversations that have layers, you know, within them.
0: Right on, right on. So, Tommy, I want I want to take a minute uh, talking about history. What to tell me a little bit about your own history? I, I just from listening to your podcast, I understand you grew up in Texas or you live there now. Tell me about
1: that. Yes, I do. I do live in Texas still. Um, I'm in I'm in Orange, Texas, which is really close to the Louisiana border um, in the in in southeast Texas uh, in the Gulf Coast. Um, I spent most of my life in Houston, but I I lived in Dallas for a while and I was born actually in Louisiana. I was born in Lake Charles. So I'm, I'm much closer to my roots being, uh, in orange than I was in Dallas or in Houston. Um, I don't know. Life was weird. I, I grew up, my dad worked three jobs and, um, my mom, she, she doesn't have a, a college degree. She's not even, she doesn't even have a, a high school diploma. And she was working in the mailroom for a workman's comp company. And, She's over the last thirty I guess thirty-five years now, she's worked her way up from making like seventeen thousand dollars a year to making uh six figures. And and my dad, you know, he's gone from working three jobs, two construction jobs and one retail job to um to being the um contractor sales manager for a lumber company. And so I really observed hard work from a very young age. And I I, I developed um a lot of depend independence. When I was young, I was I mean I mean I was cooking meals for my family when I was eleven, twelve years old. Um and I was always stubborn and opinionated, but I was also always like my mom always said that when I was a kid, I'd sit outside and just watch the grass grow. I, I always had, had that kind of uh, that, that mindset to where I could, I could keep myself occupied no matter what I was doing. And so that analytical mind that I've always held and, and been able to, to exasperate and to utilize uh, for my own you know, personal projects, um, is, is, is what led me to podcasting in many ways. And I just, I don't know, I, I grew up just believing in, in work and, and kind of being so, so independent. I was, I was a latchkey kid of sorts. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it, it was always strange to me to run in and interact with authority. And so it, it, it was kind of a natural, you know, progression in my life to kind of turn out into this uh anarchist podcaster i guess because i just never really i never really thought i needed that much supervision so
0: well you and i probably have uh similar backgrounds i uh, i grew up very much independent of my own i always was told that i have a lot of ideas in my head and some of them make some sense to some people some of them are way out there but i guess that's part and parcel of being a libertarian right <laughs> So: um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my dad always said, uh, my dad used to always laugh at me, and he, w- he would say, "Man, like, even like, when I was like eight, nine years old, they would laugh at me. And they'd be like, "Wow, you have this like, you have this really interesting point of view and this way of like describing something in such a logical way, and whenever I start thinking about it, it's this backwards logic. But you know, my parents were always. My mom always had this saying that we raised each other because she was very young whenever I was born, so it, it it's one of we I have this really strange relationship with my parents um that i don 't think most people have in in ever since I can remember, my parents have always asked me my opinion and respected my opinion, whether they believed I was right or or not they It was always a very it was it was like we were peers. It was never an authority thing. I mean, I knew it, you know, in the in the back of my mind that my dad would, you know, discipline me if if I were to do things wrong. But I was so enamored with being analytical and thinking about things that it never really uh, I never got in a, well I mean, I got in trouble. Obviously, I was I was a wild child, but. I didn't get in so much trouble that it took away. It didn't take. I was never. My spirit was never robbed of me. If that makes any sense.
0: Well, that's a good thing. Well, tell me. Tell me a little bit about uh, the culture in Texas. I, I don't know if you caught the episode my brother and I were talking about, but uh, in my time in this uh, in this world, the forty-two years I've lived in this world, I, I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. But I've been to uh, all four corners of the country, and I've been to a lot of different places. And one of the things that uh, my brother and I have really been thinking about and hammering out is just the cultural differences in this great United States. And um, and we can get into the uh, the weeds in that a little bit. But uh, tell me a little bit about what life is like in Houston, because I've only I've only been through Texas. I spent about a weekend in Dallas. But uh, what's life like in in, uh, in in Texas?
1: I hate Houston. Um... I hated Dallas too. I I, I don't like the big big cities. I'm not, I'm not a city person at all. I like to be out on my own. I mean, I live out here on nine nine acres right now, but, um, Houston, Dallas was a lot of trouble for me when I was a kid. Uh, I, I was there until I was like 12, uh, years old. And I used, I used to get beat up all the time by, um, skinheads and, and, and people at, went around calling themselves Aryan brothers um because as I like I lived in Oak Cliff which is like a really ghetto area and it was it was a lot of people on government housing in Dallas and um in Oak Cliff like the apartment complex I lived in was considered the black area and across the street was considered the white area and the guys and we're talking we're not talking about like upper middle class or middle class white people. We're talking about meth head, like redneck type of white people. You know what I'm saying? And these guys, these, 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 you know, 16, 17 year old skinheads and people that considered themselves Aryan brotherhood would come over to our apartment complex to start trash with, uh, with people in our area. And because the, the kids I w- were hanging out with, they were all, you know, mixed race. They were black, Hispanic, all these different races. And so they would pick on me a lot because I was the only quote unquote white kid in, in, in this, you know, apartment complex. So I, I have a lot of kind of like disdain for the Dallas area and it, and it shows whenever I talk about it. <laughs> you know, so um, Houston, on the other hand, I'm, man I was in Houston from the age of like 13 till other other than when I went to the military in, into my into my 30s and I never could just get away from Houston it was it was there's a lot of opportunity there um but I didn't like the speed but the interesting thing about Houston is that Everybody is really kind of folky in in the in the aspect that if you go to a small town, people are going to, to greet you and and look you in the eye and yes sir, yes ma'am, no sir, no ma'am, you know, and real real polite. And Houston has that feel. For for a place with you know, eight million people or whatever it is, there there's it's it's really Personable in a lot of ways the people are extremely nice the culture um, of people it, it there's no there's no such thing as a stranger you know what I'm saying and if it wasn't for how busy Houston was in in all the just constant go 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 I'm probably would have just stayed there but but it would but the the constant hustle and bustle just just Drove me up the wall. It, 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 yeah, I just couldn't deal with it. So we came out here to a small town, um, and we live. Technically, we live in Orange, Texas, but we're closer to a little town called Mauriceville. And Mauriceville is really interesting. Mauriceville doesn't have a sheriff's department. It um it it, it raises money not via taxes, but it has a fair and a crawfish boil and barbecue to raise money every year and they use that money to work on the bridge and yeah singular one bridge um and and all that i mean seriously there's one intersection in the entire town so it's a nice little town i love it um but but it's really interesting cuz it's a, it's a lot closer to to my idea of what a community and what a town should be and it's much more voluntary, and so I really like it. And um, I was actually talking to a a syndicalist friend of mine, and he was like, wow, that sounds like a commune. And I was like, yeah, it kind of is, man, but it's just a small Texas town, man. There's like, I don't know, 2,000 people that live in Mauriceville. I love it, man. It's, It's really nice. Everybody's like really nice. There's like one bar, and the bar is probably the size of one of the closets in my house. You know, we just hang out and just drink some beer and just everybody says hi and gives each other hugs. And if you don't show up, you know, one day the next week, everybody's asking where you were. You know, it's it's just a really nice little community. And I really like it. But but back to Houston, it was interesting for a lot of those same features for a big city. Eight million people having a lot of very similar features, you know, Um, other than the. Like I said, it was just a lot of hustle and bustle in Houston, and I just never really cared for that. But I get back there quite often because my kids live there, so so do my parents.
0: Okay, okay, well, thanks. So yeah, I guess um, I'm one of those privileged people that live out in the suburbs of a, a big city in Chicago. So it's funny because I had some friends that uh, I used to I used to have a boarding house. One of my first places I lived was uh, one of my friend's grandmother's, and he she had a, a boarding house where she would rent out some room to some uh, some guys from Mississippi and they live in a small town and they said that there was one stoplight in a whole town, and uh, they came up here to Chicago to uh, to do construction six months out of the year and so I remember I was living with them and they told me that mm-hmm. uh, uh, i'm a, 'm I'm a city boy and I, I had to make a distinction because uh, living in the suburbs <laughs> and living in a city are two different things granted it is fast around right. here in the suburbs, but it's not as fast as the city and the older I get, the uh, the more I want to live in the south or in in a, in a country more. So, I understand uh, kind of where you're coming with that.
1: Yeah, um, I actually lived in the suburbs in Houston as well. Uh, I lived in Katy, which is is on the west side. But I lived in. I mean, I was in Houston for so long. I lived all over the place in that in the in that that town. Yeah, uh, and I, and I was in the city. I've been out of the city in the suburbs. And it depends on where you're at. Like really, uh, even within the city Uh, and see Houston, here's what people don't understand about uh, Houston. It's not like, it's not like being in Chicago. It's not the same type of city. Houston is spread out. It's huge. It's, it's this massive expanse of land where things are built out. They don't build up. They build out and they took over all this property. Um, so, so you, uh, you have this massive city and, and it incorporates so much land and so much mass that you actually don't have like, um, a, a minor suburb of Houston. What you have is you have like, you have Katie, Conroe, the, the woodlands, um, Hockley, Cypress, and you have all these areas that are actually considered suburbs that have been swallowed by the city. It's really, it's really crazy. If you, when you drive through Houston, it'll take you an hour and a half to get through it all. It's just, everything's interconnected.
0: I gotcha. So Tommy, you're a, you're a truck driver, right? That's, that's your profession right now.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's, that's how I make my money.
0: Are you considered a local driver or did you cross country?
1: I do. I do what they call dedicated. So I'm on a, I'm on a route to where I, um, run specifically for a company called Georgia Pacific. And, um, you may not, people may not be aware of what Georgia Pacific is, but, but they make a lot of paper products. I mean, they deal with paper towels, toilet paper, all these different things. So, um, I, am running, I'm running at the moment I used to do over the road and I used to do all 48 States and I've been to almost every one of them, um, in the upper 48. But, uh, right now I pretty much stay between Texas and Louisiana every once in a while and make my way up to Missouri or Oklahoma, and Kansas. But for the most part, I, 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 stay close to home. I'm always within a day's drive of the house. And um, I get home every weekend, which is a lot better than what it used to be. So it's not it's not near as bad as it once was.
0: Well, that's good. At least you get to see your family. I, uh, I bet sitting in a truck, you get to, th- to yeah. I bet sitting in a truck, you get to think a lot. You get to listen to podcasts or just kind of uh, intellectualize uh, different different subjects, right? I know I do that when I drive uh, a lot. Yeah, no, it,
1: it's it's it's. It, I mean it it's like any other job. It's, it's got its pros and its cons. I, I spend a lot of time alone. I, I got my dog that rides with me. If you ever listen to my podcast, you'll probably hear him interrupt me every, every once in a while. I record a lot of my podcasts from the road sometimes when I'm driving. Um, and you know, it, it's, 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 it's interesting cause you know uh, well, since I found the Mises Institute and, and their website, and I've downloaded so many of their audio books um, that, that are free, which, which is awesome that they offer all this free material. Um, it, I, I'm always busy. It's, it's like I, I'm a rolling library. I've, I've always got books and audio books and podcasts and all kinds of, kinds of stuff going on. Um, I try to spend, you know, some of my downtime writing because I love to write. And I, I write, I read, and I listen. And that's that's what I do. That's my life. And I get home on the weekends, and my, my brain is all scrambled from all this information that I've been taking in, taking in all week. And my wife is so not interested in anything I have to talk about that I actually have to be a normal human being for a, a couple of days, which is nice, too.
0: So your wife's not politically minded?
1: Not at all. Not at all, no. Um, she's... She finds certain aspects of it interesting, but now nah, she. She keeps me grounded. She keeps me in check when it comes to like, hey, this is real life. Now we gotta, we gotta, we got paint a wall, or you know, like whatever.
0: <laughs> Th- that's funny. I I guess I'm blessed in that regard because uh, I met my wife Ashley uh, in a, a Libertarian Party parade. And so both of us think alike. Oh wow! Way. Yeah, <laughs> there's not too many uh, female libertarians. Although I hope some of them are going to be listening, but uh, not too many that I run across.
1: Well, I mean, my wife, my wife is is libertarian. She just doesn't care to pay as much attention as I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you,
0: yeah.
1: she, She's actually she's she's working on the Hornberger campaign. So like she is libertarian. Like there's no doubt about that.
0: Well, that's good. That's good. At least you're not fighting with each other. My friend of mine uh, one time said that uh, he was making fun of us because our arguments with Ashley and I would be uh, disagreeing with each other on the same terms, and we'd be like, no, I disagree with you. Oh, no, I'm right. No, I disagree with you. No, but I'm right. And so you know how libertarians and ANCAPs are, and you like to fight with each other even though we both agree with the same thing.
1: (laughs) You're not a real libertarian. How does that come up in an argument at home? You're not a real libertarian. Oh, yeah. You're sleeping on the couch. You're not a real libertarian. <laughs> well,
0: until we got a brand new bed, some of us were sleeping on a couch, not because of fights, but because the bed was uncomfortable. But we saw that one now, so. <laughs> <laughs> Good um, deal. So I, I caught one of your episodes. Uh, I, I found it interesting. Now, I, I, again, as, as soon as I was preparing for this show, I saw the one that said, Why I Hate This State, which – I'm glad that we're talking here because now you can tell everyone that whole thing. But uh, I wanted to focus on one of your other episodes where uh, you were talking to a friend of yours and you distinguished yourself from him. Hmm. Well You called yourself an intellectual, uh, an, ideolo- an ideologue, but you called that person a normie, hmm. which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. So what's your, uh, what's your understanding yeah. of the difference between an ideologue and a normie?
1: Well, I'm an, I'm an ideologue. I, I base every one of my... Um every 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 idea i come up with and every direction i move politically is based off of liberty i don't i i refuse to compromise there's no compromise in in my positions this is what i believe this this is the way i'm i'm willing to operate and this is what i'm willing to accept from government period in the end of sentence uh, and i'm just not willing to compromise whereas and Normie, you know people use it as a pejorative, but I wasn't using it and my, my, my friend knows I didn't mean it in, in a derogatory way towards him i've known, I've known Greg for many, many years um, he He's also a truck driver, and we work for the same company and um, and what I meant by that is he's your average guy he's not paying attention you know 12 hour hours a day to all the news and He's not reading up on libertarian philosophy. He's not, he's not a, he's not a dork. You know, I'm a nerd when it comes to this stuff. I don't look like it, but I am. I'm a nerd, man. I I love, I love getting into like the weeds and, and average people don't do that. Average people are worried about what they're going to eat for dinner. And you know, when the next time they're going to get to see their grandkids and that, that, that's where I was coming from with that. It's, it's, it it It's just something ideal, being an ideologue is nothing to to look up to some peop- people are just obsessive you know people, and I am and i I get then I want to dig down so deep and find out oh why why, why, get to the fourth level and and find out all these minute details that the average person it really isn't interested in. And I can see my wife's eyes glaze over because she's a normie. You know, her eyes glaze over when I start t- talking about some of these things. And she's like, okay, dude, shut up now. You know, so it, it's, not, it's not a pejorative as far as I'm concerned. It's just some people do use it that way. But, no, I just mean that when, I'm, when I say I'm an ideologue, I'm looking at everything in a binary. It's, it's liberty versus authority. And, and the average person doesn't look at things that way
0: yeah I understand what you're coming from uh, it's kind of funny because well you know what I do professionally with, with the finance company and uh, I would be talking about a lot of stuff and then I would get into the weeds uh, in my political ideology and my both my mentor and you know, some friends of mine, and, and even my wife's uh, mom and her family, they would tell me, "Hey, if you want to keep your business and clients happy, you got to stop talking about all that stuff that you get into the weeds about." And <laughs> I'm just laughing. I go, "That's why I got to right. start a podcast because I'm like you. You know, I love figuring things out and 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 just talking and and uh, beating an issue until to death, <laughs> finding out why. You know, that next level of why." Right. Well,
1: in Owen Benjamin and I, I'm not a huge Owen Benjamin fan. I think he's a funny comedian, but he has this saying, and I find his, this saying to be like probably one of the most true sayings ever. And he says, "I may be wrong, but I'm not lying." You know, and that's it. I, I'm not lying. Nobody's buying me off. nobody's paying, paying me. I, I, I come out here and I talk about the things that I find interesting and I'm passionate about. And sometimes, you know, I mean, sometimes I release a podcast late, you know, because I couldn't find anything, you know, any story that I thought was really all that interesting to like touch on, you know, because it's like, this isn't, this is about being honest with not only the audience, but with myself and really reflecting upon what I believe and how I, how I view things. And so I always tell people. I don't have a big audience. It's not a huge audience, um, but the the people that listen to me, they expect something. They expect me to address subjects honestly and in a specific way. And if I let them down, trust me, I am in contact with probably at least a third of the people that listen to my podcast on a regular basis. They're going to let me know because some of these guys, including yourself, are smarter than me. You know, I'm just loud. I'm not smart.
0: <laughs> well, we all have our areas of expertise, right? Uh, I mean, I would love, right. I would lo- I would, lo- I would love to know half the stuff that I mean, I, I, Tommy. I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm intrigued because uh, you definitely do make your show entertaining. To the fact that uh, you really do know your stuff about the CIA and and, and the intelligence uh, world, and you get to be uh, very versed in uh, american uh, foreign affairs and whatnot and i find myself listening to you or you know if i can't catch scott horton or something like that uh, what's going on let me let me check out what tommy thinks and so i i like that
1: yeah i know man thanks thanks a thousand percent to scott horton his book fools aaron like really opened my eyes and i know you like to talk about books and i want to throw that plug out there because that is one of the best books on on what is going on in Afghanistan. Like if you if you get a chance to sit down and read or or get the audiobook version of Fool's Aaron, um it's it is some of the best analysis ever. I mean Daniel Ellsberg, you know, he even kind of came out and was like, wow, this is amazing, you know, this is an amazing book. And and Scott really broke it down. And I'm really looking forward to Scott's next book, which which is going to be kind of like a part two and it's going to cover all the terror wars. So I'm really looking forward to that. And Scott's an amazing resource to have at your disposal. Um, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And I text him, man. I te- I know I annoy him because I anytime I have an idea, I'm like, hey, I got this thought. I'm gonna run it by you, okay? And so I I I harass the hell out of Scott. I text Scott probably uh, almost as much as I I text and talk to my wife because he's he's such a of an invaluable resource and he's one of the most knowledgeable he's he's my mom always says he's an encyclopedia when it comes to foreign policy and uh, i wouldn't know half of what i know if it weren't for scott horton opening his mouth and telling me i better learn this shit so pardon my language i'm sorry
0: that, no problem <laughs> So uh, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get Scott on the, on, the, on the show sometime. I got I gotta build up a relationship with him because I've never never spoken to him or met him or anything. I'll
1: get you hooked up with him. He's really easy to get on the show, man. Like seriously, I I'll I'll, I'll give you his email address. I'll, I'll get you in touch.
0: Sounds good. Hey, so I w- I want to uh, turn just a little ser- more serious here, uh, addressing another podcast episode um, for the purpose of my audience uh, because. The uh, The whole thing with the Invictus mind is how so we can find different ways of making ourselves free. And, you know, we were talking about the normie right. view. I, I run across a lot of people who just don't care about things. Or, or they say the common line, you know, what government does doesn't matter. And I wanted to address right. an episode you did. It says people either feel the government doesn't affect their day or there's nothing they can do about it. Uh, do you agree with that assessment or not really?
1: Yeah, no, I do. I do. Uh, a lot of people believe that, uh, you know, um, was it, was it Mark Twain that, that had that famous quote that if voting mattered, they wouldn't let us do it. You know, yeah. a lot of people feel that way. You, I mean, you look at, you even, you look at the elections and, and you look at how many people don't vote compared to how many people do. And it's always the people that don't vote always outnumber the people that do. Uh, people just don't think that their opinion matters and that's, that's horrible. You know, and it, I, I have my problems with democracy and we can get in that if you want. But but it's not even about that. It's you're supposed to be a free person. You're, you're supposed to be liberty and justice for all. Right. Like, why why do you feel like what you have to say doesn't matter if, if you have liberty, if you have freedom, if you're able to live your life in, in an autonomous fashion and, and structure your life the way you want why is it that there's this roadblock that's artificially put in front of you that you suddenly have to overcome? And, you know, so, yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. You know, they, and a lot of people, a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people feel that, and that was what Trump was elected, why Trump was elected. You know, a lot of people are really upset about the whole election of Donald Trump. And it's like, well, he was elected because all these people, these 63 million people that voted for him felt like they're, voice didn't matter. And they were like giving a big middle finger to, you know, the donor class and the elites. And they were like, no, I don't care. Tear it all down, burn it down. Who cares? What, what difference does it make to us? You know? And so, yeah, people are very frustrated and there's a lot of, um, there's, there's this, this idea and you'll hear, you'll hear it every once in a while, whenever they were doing the, um, impeachment hearings, Alexander Venman was uh, testifying. And one of the things he said was, well, when I accepted my role in the National Security Council in the Ukraine under Donald Trump, it was under the auspice that he wasn't going to change foreign policy in the Ukraine. And so people are like, well, what if we don't like the way foreign policy is going in the Ukraine? What if we don't like that Millions of our dollars are are arming people, um, you know people that are carrying on Nazi traditions from from World War II, and you know it, it, they just don't care. They're they're this. It's what you hear called the deep state. It's this embedded, you know, bureaucracy. John Kiryaku calls it the permanent government, which I love. I think that's the best description. These are the people that are aren't elected. They're appointed and hired. They work their way up through the ranks, and you never know their names most of the time unless you do tons of research and find out who they are. And, yeah, so people just don't believe that anything they say or do matters anymore when it comes to the direction of the country, you know, and it, it get and then, then that starts impeding on their lives. When you start looking into the Federal Reserve and how it operates and and just modern policing in itself it's 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 affecting people's everyday lives and they just don't feel like they matter. So yeah, I do I do I do still agree with that. I still do believe that.
0: So what do you think people ought to be doing to uh to be more informed? I mean, you think you think it's important that they uh they become more informed. I mean, do you think podcasts like yourself or mine are, uh, are are really providing value to people, or is it just more noise going on in the world Do you, th- do you think that uh, people ought to be informed about what's really happening, or should they just leave these uh, these lives of blissful ignorance
1: I think there's some value in the information that we put out there, like the um, the, the podcast I just did, why I hate the state is was a, was a podcast um, that I did too too often uh, podcasters and um get caught up in the minutiae of uh, the intellectual and the f- philosophical and we're we're talking about books and and we're really talking above the heads of as as we said normies because they're not paying attention the way we are. They kind of look at us like we're crazy half the time. <laughs> but all of us have um all of us have stories of Uh, conflict in our lives that brought us to a position and and prepared us in one way or the other to be libertarian if if you if if you want to use that word um to be against the state um and and there's good reason for it you know albert j knock in his book our enemy the state points out that the state is an institution built built on conquest and domination and utilized to oppress or murder those that stand in its way. And so when you when you break the state down like that, you you start to understand that you're not talking about government, you're talking about empire. You're talking about a a, a force of of violence against people and their way of lives. So yeah, I think I think there is some utility to the podcast, you know, group of liberty mind minded people, but I think we also have to remember that people operate on on emotion, you know? And we have to remember that sometimes we have to tell our stories and relate to these people and not just try to try to be the smartest guy on the microphone. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah, there there is utility to it. But if I were to give people advice um, like just your average person advice, I wouldn't tell them to listen to a podcast. I would tell them to participate in civil disobedience, operate within the aspect of the gray market, get outside of government regulation, um, become an agorist, you know, uh, do things, have their own well. Um, create their own source of energy, um, get get off the grid, so to speak, and and be independent of of government and, and outside of the purview of government. And that that would be my, you know, initial the way I would uh, would approach it. I'm I'm like I said I'm just an obsessive personality, and I start digging into this stuff. I just kind of get caught up in the in the entire narrative of these guys are so horrible, but you don't even have to be paying attention to that to want to be a free individual. Everybody, I, I think at the root of, at the root of every human emotion and act is, is a desire to be free and, and, and autonomous and make your own choices for yourself.
0: Right on. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, in fact, That's one of the things that, uh, I don't know if you still listen to Jason Stapleton's show or not, but he's always talking about how there are lots of people in in this movement, in the liberty movement, who they want to spend their time complaining about this, complaining about that, and point out all the different horrible things that the government may do. But uh, I took on his mantra years ago, even before I ran into Jason Stapleton's show, about uh, we can make ourselves free. Just like Harry Brown says, how to make yourself free in an unfree world. You know, right. there's, life is so complex, and we live in such a vast country that, yeah, the government does affect our lives, and we should be aware of that kind of stuff. But uh, I really mm-hmm. think that we can become free if we really want to. I mean, obviously, you talk about agorism. You talk about being a uh, civil disobedient. Uh, you know, uh, what kind of things do you do on your daily basis that really – Helps you facilitate freedom in your own life well, you know
1: we spend fifteen thousand hours in government school <laughs> getting indoctrinated by these people, so i mean I, I I really look at education and educating myself as 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 uh, a movement of freedom um, because of other situations within my life uh, that the state regulates to an extent, but even if it weren't for the state regulation, I would still involve myself in, which means I'm not being forced to do um, at the point of a gun necessarily, because I would still still make sure these responsibilities are taken care of. I have kind of enslaved myself in a way to um, what my life entails. Uh, my My life is pretty... Pretty drab, man. (laughs) I sit behind the wheel of a truck for 11 to 13 hours every day. So it's kind of like there's not really much I do other than podcasting and learning at this point. But um, for people that are home on a regular basis, you can do something as simple as starting to use Bitcoin when you shop online or um, getting, investing in gold or, you know, planting your own garden or something of that nature um i'm not i'm not a model citizen and i'm i my my daily life is not one to be mocked i would say unless you just like being alone and driving a truck all day <laughs> so um yeah so yeah it it's to me it's about educating myself at this point um in in a few years you know all my child support will be paid, which i'm not only am I not only am I obligated to pay it, but I happily make sure my children are taken care of um, i i will I will then begin to take some further steps I'll probably be looking at more of a freelance type of lifestyle in in writing and working for myself and and things of that nature um, but my wife you know my wife she she works from home she's self-employed she's completely independent and that that was upon my urging to make sure that she was happy and you know content with what she was doing for a living um coming from south africa the work environment in america is completely different and she didn't she didn't enjoy it she didn't appreciate it at all and so, so it was one of the most important thing to me was to free her of, of those, of those burdens and put her in a position to where she were, she was at home. And yeah, well, like I said, we have property here so we can, we can have, you know, our own chickens or goats or cows or grow our own crops and this, that, and the other, I have a pond in the back that's completely stocked. I don't, need a grocery store. Uh, the only reason I really need a job is to pay the mortgage, you know, and, that's, and pay my child support, you know, and other than that, it's kind of like my life is pretty, pretty free. I, I've, I have very little debt and I've made sure that I've stayed clear of that since my first divorce. Um, that debt really jacked me up with the first divorce. So, I uh yeah man uh it's I think it's it's all depending on the person and your your current situation and what you're willing to what you're willing to sacrifice for for freedom.
0: Sure. Hey, don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, being a truck driver is like the backbone of the United States, right? Nobody would get anything if it wasn't for guys like you.
1: <laughs> oh no, I just don't like my job. I do it out of necessity, not because I want to. It was cool at first, honestly. It was pretty cool to get to travel around the U S and see the U.S., I thought it was really awesome, but I don't like what I do. I I never have. I didn't, I didn't start driving a truck. Like my friend uh, who I've had on my podcast, Gord, he, he loves driving a truck and he's, he's been driving a truck since he was a teenager. His, his dad was a truck driver. His grandfather was a truck driver. He's driven, driven truck in Australia, in New Zealand, all over the place, you know, and he loves it. I never set out to be a truck driver. It just happened. It it was one of those things where I had no choice at that particular time. And I just started driving a truck. So it was, (laughs) it was just one of those situations. So no, I don't, I, I appreciate truck drivers and I know that, you know, a week of no truck drivers would render like a, like a third to, to a half of the population desolate. Yeah, for sure. But you know, I just don't. I don't enjoy it. It's not my idea of a job. I would want to keep for any longer than I already have. I I've been you. driving for almost twenty years now. So okay,
0: it's funny that you say a third or a half of people will be desolate without the truck drivers because. Uh, uh, I'm not a country boy by any stretch of the uh, the meaning, but uh, I think of that song, uh, you know, the country boy will survive, right? <laughs> like people in the city would be screwed if <laughs> not only if the if the if the truck stopped, but if you know if things got even more oppressive, and you know who knows? Uh, you know, I'm not a believer in the zombie apocalypse per se, but uh, I'd want to be as far away from cities as possible if that was the case. You know, I think you do have more freedom on in the country.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I have a stock's pawn, man. I, can't, I. Can't. I got a little cusp uh, of, of trees in the back of my yard where, where squirrels live and deer nest, and, you know, I'll be all right. You know, like, I don't know. Like, that was, part of my, that was part of the reason I didn't want to be in Houston anymore. Like, I can't survive on my own in this city. If something were to – if this place were to go down – I remember reading this book. It was a fiction novel. I don't know if you put these into your, into your requested books – but it was called One Second After, and it was really an interesting book. I actually read the entire novel in in in, in one sitting. I sat there. I think I read for probably about sixteen hours. This book, I, I just found it so intriguing. Um, and this guy, like, was writing about how I want to say it was the, that he was he was it was the Chinese detonated an EMP over the United States, knocking out the entire electrical grid in the way that, that this town coordinated itself. And I'm like, man, I wouldn't want to be in Houston if that ever happened. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> I would much rather be out here, know who my neighbors are and and just kind of be able to be self-sufficient. You know, if they want to come over and, and, and go fishing and catch a couple of bluegill or a, a catfish, They'll, they're more than welcome. They're welcome to come over here. You know, we're, we're not going to starve, but you know, we're definitely not looking at, you know, getting, having to battle our way into a grocery store just to survive, you know? So yeah, for sure. Out in the country, it's a different mindset for sure.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, we're coming about in an hour here, Tommy, and I uh, uh, appreciate the conversation. You know, I, I like to talk to real people, uh, just uh, living life out there. You know, um, as this thing evolves, I'm sure that we'll have uh, a few more chances to get to know each other. But uh, before we go, what's what's the next step for you regarding your, your evolution in, in your thinking, in your thought process? Is it just uh, trying to retire from truck living, or do you have any more projects coming up? What's going on with you now?
1: Well, I'm... Um- I really work on, um, I really work on writing. Um, uh, like I said earlier, my wife is working with, with the Hornberger campaign. So I'm participating with the Hornberger campaign as, as much as time allows. It's it's a lot more reading. <laughs> There's a lot of reading. <laughs> uh, I got probably about 30 books sitting here that uh, I've ordered in the last couple of months that I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to read this eventually. Um, but, it's just if, if I can I, I feel like if I can change one person's life or mindset and, and help one person, you know, um, recognize what they what they feel is wrong with the world, then maybe I'm doing something right. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty harsh guy. I'm not I'm a i am not i am aii use rough language. I, I grew up living a rough life. Um very impoverished. I worked oil field. I worked uh I'm a truck driver. I was I was infantry, airborne infantry when I was in the military. I don't really hold my tongue. I kind of tell people what I think. And um my podcast is very blatant and blunt, but you know, maybe somebody needs to hear it that way. You know, I and I'm not afraid to tell you what I think in, in any aspect. But as far as moving forward, I think, yeah, my, my, right now, my entire life is aimed and projected at the idea of no longer driving a truck and, and, and going into riding full time and, uh, you know, being able to verbalize the hardships of blue collar life and, and, and being impoverished in life in, in a way that, that is, will touch a lot of people uh yeah so that's yeah you're you are you 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 nailed it and i'm just rambling on now
0: <laughs> that's all right all right well from one podcaster to another uh obviously we'll share each other's audiences where, where besides the podcast I, I know you're at year zero you're on stitcher and uh, i'm assuming itunes and that kind of stuff yeah uh where where can people yeah. find your writing
1: um uh, I, I usually publish at the Libertarian dot org. Um Scott's been gracious enough to add me as a blogger on on the website. And uh um it's he he kinda gives me free reign, even though when I do write something I still run it by him and uh Pete first. Uh Pete is uh Pete quinones which is the um the host of Free Man Beyond the Wall. So um I I always try to make sure I run it by them, but they, they kinda give me free reign. They kinda let me do what I wanna do. Um I, I post my podcast up there weekly and anything I write usually gets posted up, up there. Um other than that, there's really nowhere to find me unless you really wanna come and look at my Facebook page, which is mainly for posting articles and and uh my podcast. So I mean that's pretty much the the only thing I use Facebook for. Uh, so yeah, man, y'all y'all can come find me. It, it it'd be all right. I ain't mad at you. You can also email me and tell me how wrong I am about everything. At Tommy Salmons S A L M O N S at gmail dot com, and you can tell me I'm I'm a blithering idiot. No, I'm not gonna be mad at you because I probably am in you know, in many ways.
0: Well, it's something we all share, I think, Tommy. Well, hey, this has been fun. Uh, You know, I I like to keep these uh, conversations just uh, simple dialogue, man, just like chit-chatting. Hopefully, uh, we'll get more people to hear us and uh, and get the message out. And like I said, I'm I'm happy to do shows for you and vice versa, hopefully. And we'll just go from there, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I really appreciate you having me on. This was a lot of fun. I really didn't know what to expect. Um, This is actually the first interview I've ever been in. Nobody's ever interviewed me before. I'm usually the one asking the questions and shaping the relations, I mean, the uh, conversation. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's really interesting. I didn't know what, what to, to expect or how I was going to respond. But I, I think I held up my own, at least for my first
0: time. It's not too bad. There you go. All right, man. Well, I'm going to let you go. Um...
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Let me know for sure. I'll publish it and I'll make sure everybody's listening to it. So, so this is going to be a lot, of, a lot of fun, man.
0: Take care, buddy. Thank you. I want to thank Tommy for coming on the Invictus Mind. I want to thank all the listeners to this program. If you enjoyed this content, please subscribe to your favorite podcast player. We are now on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please write a review, let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, and if you have a story you would like to share, please check out theinvictusmind.com and send me an email. Have an awesome day.